Many weeks ago, uh, Peter, he, uh, he gave me a real special uh, gift and it hangs in my office. And it's just a, a real simple piece of metal that's been laser cut and it's got these three simple words on it. It says, truth, trusted, transforms. And, and Peter gave me this gift, I think, because it was sort of a, he, he kind of knew, he, he laughed at me how often I would use this in the counseling to people. Um, but he also recognized the power that those three words had. See, all of our actions are motive-driven. Uh, you know, basically what that means is that what we believe is going to determine how we behave and how we act. So, for example, if, if you believe that you don't actually belong somewhere, if you don't believe that the people around you are safe and that you, you sense that they're going to you know, quickly judge you and cut you down if you say or do the wrong thing, then what's going to happen is because of that belief, you're going to withdraw. You're going to isolate. You're going to pull back from all those people. And that pulling back could be either a physical pullback or it might be uh, emotionally just pulling back, sitting there quiet. But basically, you're going to retreat and withdraw. Uh, conversely, uh, maybe you are on the other side of it where, where you believe that you're better than everyone else in that room. And so it ends up happening because of that belief, you're going to look down on others and you're going to be quick to judge and quick to criticize and, and quick to, to put down. And, and so you can begin to see how what we believe determines how we live. And that's, that's what Proverbs 23, 7 is basically saying. As a person, as a man believes in his heart, so is he, determines how we live. And so that helps us then because we can actually use that to our advantage because when you begin to believe the truth of this new identity that we have in Jesus Christ, the, the new identity that's not a result of what you've done, but the result of what God has done by his grace and what he's given to us, as well as the grace that you and I have today, the power of Jesus living in us today, that truth, when trusted, begins to transform the experience that we have. It transforms how we relate to one another and how we can be in that room, regardless of that person who's being critical of us or maybe that person who's withdrawing from us, we get to now express the life of Jesus to those people. And so there's three words, truth, trusted, transforms. Such a, such a powerful passage, such a powerful word. And so that's going to bring us really to what we're going to study this morning in, in the book of Ephesians, continuing on um, the, the, in chapter 4. Because this passage we're going to look at is loaded with truth, loaded with, with great theology for us uh, to help us understand how does, what do we need to believe, what do we need to trust in in order to experience this transformation. And, and really, you know, we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks going into greater detail in this passage. I, I was thinking about this week. I don't know if there's three verses, a three-verse passage at least, that covers a wider range of, of the truth of the new covenant. It is just loaded. And we could, again, we can go into so much more detail in there, but we're not. This morning, we're just going to try to <clears throat> try to hit on each of these points in a in a very uh, you know thirty thousand feet in the in the sky kind of view, just to begin to see what Paul's stating. Because what Paul's really trying to do here is is he's already just previously in the verse before he's been stressing the unity that we have, a, a unity that has been created by God, a unity that He has made, but that we need to protect, we need to fight for. And now what he's going to say is the, this unity that we have is rooted in equality. And that's really such a, a powerful phrase there, a powerful idea here. The equality of how we view one another. 
the equality of where we stand with one another and where we stand with God and how we treat one another and how we can respect one another. And so that equality is going to be really important. And, and as I was reflecting on that this week, I was thinking about why does inequality even exist, right? Inequality, we see it in society in many different ways. Really, you know, the, the conversation we're having around racism right now, or maybe it's sexism, or really any kind of ism we can come up with, really, if you boil it down, it all comes down to inequality. Meaning that you, you view someone who's different from you in an inequality way that... <clears throat> that they're not as good as because of the color of their skin or because of their gender or because of their, their political beliefs or because of their, their financial status, whether you view someone differently because they're poor or whether you view someone differently because they're rich. Inequality is really at the heart of that matter. And, and so what ends up happening is every single person here, we all have fundamental needs. And, the, and these fundamental needs are God-given. Fundamental needs to be loved. Fundamental needs to be accepted, to have approval and worth and security, to know that I belong somewhere. The, the fundamental need to have peace and patience and hope and joy. The, these, these are more than just fundamental needs to a person. These are what I, I like to think of their life to us. And I like that term life because without those things, you and I will experience death. See, see, death is more than just the body, you know, keels over and falls over dead. Death is, death is an experience as much as it is a state. And, and death can be experienced when we have the absence of those needs, the absence of life. And so you take away love and now we experience unloved. We experience rejection. We experience worthlessness and we experience uh, alone and, and, and not fitting in. And we experience insecurity and shame. We experience anxiety and peace and dismay and despair. That's death. And, and, and all of us, since the, since the fall in, in the garden, we've been under this curse of death. We've been experiencing death. It's what we saw in the, the video this morning about how, how God came to give us life because we were all under death. But here's what happens. Because the, the reason inequality exists is because too many people believe that we, we operate in a zero-sum game. And what I mean by that is if someone else has life, that means I'm going to experience death. That love and acceptance and worth and security is really in limited supply. And so if you've got it, I don't. And so now I need to figure out a way to get it so that I look after myself above all else. And so now that's why we're going to have inequality, because now what do I determine? What determines whether or not I'm worthy of that love and that acceptance, that, that belonging and that peace and that security? What, what tells me that I'm okay? And so now I need standards. And those standards might be based on how I perform. It might be based on my wealth. It might be based on where I live, my nationality, my race, my gender, the, the, the things I struggle with, the things I don't struggle with. And so we try to figure out what are the right group to belong to so then I know that I'll be okay. And if you don't belong to that group, now you're less than. Now you're not as good as me. And, and so we begin to struggle in these ways, struggling with, with inequality as a result of that. And so the inequality is, is really a twofold problem. I'm, I'm operating with the idea that, that I don't have it, 
I don't have that love and acceptance in life. And if you got it, I don't. And second, what do I need to do? How do I need to perform to find it? And so it creates an us versus then dynamic. The has versus the have nots, the superior versus the inferior. And so Paul here, he's writing to these two groups, two, two very different groups, to, to the Jew and to the Greek, to the, to the Gentile, who really had so much wrapped up in those identities, so much so that they would look at one another differently. And he's trying to bring these two groups together in Jesus, together as one. And knowing how inequality it will absolutely destroy that unity, he's going to establish the basis and the reason for our equality. And he's going to remind them that the reason for that equality is all about Jesus, all about what he's done, what we have, and who we are in him. And so that's what he's going to, he's just going to pound this idea home that we're all the same in Jesus, same, 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 all, all, all in Christ. And what he's going to do, he's going to do it in this passage with repetition. So in a moment, we're going to read the passage, and I want you to notice this repetition. Seven times he uses the word one. Four times he uses the word all, because he's pounding home this idea over and over again. So the message really I came up with from, for the title I came up for this message, and Josh, you know, let me know how I'm doing here. You're the, you're the master at coming up with titles. I don't have a subtitle, but here's my title. It's one for all and all for one, Right? Good old musketeer reference there. But it's this idea here, this, this same applies to all of us. One gift, one that we all have together in Jesus. And it's, hopefully you're going to be blessed by it. So let's read our passage this morning. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 6, but we're going to focus in on verses 4 and 6 in particular. So verse 1 begins, Therefore I... The prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And here's verse 4. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, how oh, what a joy it is to have you that to us, to be a father, to be the perfect father, father that loves us, loves us more than life itself. This morning, we're going to, we got a meaty passage here. And there's so much in there and so much that we could, could just run down rabbit trails. But Father, would you lead me and guide me as we, as we kind of break down this passage a little bit and understand the, the powerful truth of the new covenant, this new relationship we have with you and how it operates. And would you take that truth and make it real to every one of us that we would trust it, that we would live in, a, in, in freedom and, and hope and, and joy and power. May this morning we experience life in you. That's what we're after. In your name we pray, amen. Well, like I said earlier, this, this is a, a meaty passage. Lots of great deep theology. And, and, and what I want you to notice here is Paul keeps coming back to what we have in Jesus, what he's done, what he's given to us, who he's made us. Again, knowing that that truth, when trusted, transforms. And, and so it's really important to have good theology. 
My, my friend Jim, he likes to say that bad theology is a horrible taskmaster. Because really, if that truth trusted transforms, the, the corollary, corollary of that is lies trusted deforms. And that's what bad theology is. It's, it's lies. And when we believe that bad theology of, of who God is, who we are, and our, our relationship with him, then it begins to twist and deform who we are. So we're going to briefly look at these seven ones and these four alls in a little bit more detail. And the first one we're going to look at is this one body. Right? The one body refers to the church, refers to you and I. And we, we've talked about this in the past. The church is not a building. It's not an organization. The, the, the Greek word here for church is ecclesia, and it really means gathering. So it's not talking about a building, which is why that despite us not getting together in a building, the church continues because the church is a group. It's the body of Christ. And when he talks about here it being one gathering, one ecclesia, it's talking about the universal church. And so that's what's so beautiful about it. It's not just talking about a, a, a selected group of body of believers. It's talking about all believers in Christ, whether they be in Kitchener, whether they be in Ontario, whether they be in Canada or North America, anywhere in the world, you and I were united and we're one body in Christ. And that's what's so beautiful about that. But, but it's not just universal that he's talking about, but we're all one. And so this idea here is that, that we're all equal, but we're all different. And, and so what's beautiful about that is equal and different is therefore we all need one another. You see, that's really important to understand is, is you and I can have equality without having to be the same. And I think too often in the world, that's, that's what we've kind of made is in order to be equal, you have to be the same. But, but that's not the case. We all get to have different personalities. We all get to be unique. Some people more unique than others, and I won't mention any names to protect flow, right? And so we're all a little bit different, but, but beautifully together, we're one. And I love how Paul described this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a, it's a great long passage. We're not going to read the whole passage, but <clears throat> beginning in verse 12, he uses this analogy of this human body that we're all one body, baptized through the Spirit into Jesus. And, and what he says here is that there's different parts of the body. There's, you know, you got the hand and you got the feet and you got the knee, the, the knee bone and, and so forth. And, and he says what's beautiful about this is we're all one. Because what's happened in Jesus is, is he's brought the Jew and the, and the Greek, the Jew and the Gentile. He's brought the, the rich and the poor, the slave and the free, men and women, right? He, he's brought them all together in Jesus to make us all free. And so this unity, this equality doesn't exclude our diversity, but gets to really celebrate it because now we get to see how it works. In fact, we're going to see that more when we get to, to verse 7 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, when he starts to break up and explain more of that diversity. But right now, what I want you to see is the equality in the body, meaning that we all are equal, but we all need one another. See, Paul famously says, you know, the, the foot can't say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. Or the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We all need one another. And, and so because we're one and because we're all together, we get to operate in a healthy manner, in unity, respecting one another, loving one another. And because we're all one body, we really are, as a church, all in this together. So we get to support one another, help one another, bless one another. 
And he, and he says this so much that when he gets to the end of this passage, he summarizes it for us in verses 24 to 26. And he writes this, he says, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so there may be no division in the body. This unity that, that is really at the heart of it, the equality here, but that the members that have the same care for one another. Watch this, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Isn't that beautiful? But I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, if, if the, the hand was in pain, the knee and the, the feet are going, well, I'm good, it doesn't matter. No, if the hand's in pain, the whole body's in pain. If, if the stomach's in pain, if you're having a heart attack, the whole body is under attack. And so the same way that because we're one body, because we're one, because we're equal, if one suffers, we're all suffering. But what's beautiful about that too is if, if one is being blessed, we don't feel jealous about that. We get to celebrate how God's blessing another. And so again, that's why we want to be able to, to let one another know what's happening, whether you're struggling or whether God's done something beautiful in your life so that we know to come to support or to come to praise and celebrate alongside of you. One body. All right, the next one, Paul says, is we're now, we have this one spirit. And the one spirit refers to the Holy Spirit. And that's beautiful because we've all been given the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that is in me is in you if you've received him. Which means we have all the same access, all the same limitless power of God living in us. And, and I think that's really important because sometimes people think that, well, you know, we need to take this person to so-and-so because they've got power and this person's got more power. And no, we all have the same spirit. And, and I think that's important because there is some that teach that when you first come to Jesus, you sort of get a half filling. You get part of the spirit. And now you need to pray more to get a, a full infilling of the spirit. And that's, that's represented when you begin to speak in tongues. And that's not how it works. You and I, we have the same spirit, one spirit in us, full power, full access, all of it. And that's beautiful. That's incredible. I mean, not only is it the same spirit in me is in you, but the same spirit that was in Billy Graham, in Mother Teresa, in the apostles Peter and Paul and John. He's in you right now. Incredible. So one of the ways that plays out for us as a leadership, as, as elders, is, is when we get together and we're beginning to pray and figure out, well, what's the direction, God, you want to take new life? What that means is, is that the Spirit in Greg and the Spirit in me, we're going to be on the same page. Because how could the Spirit in Greg tell Greg that new life needs to go one way and, and the Spirit in me say new life's got to go in another way? That's not how it works. And so we know that when the Spirit agrees and we're both on the same page, that's evidence that God's saying, move forward. This is the direction because we've got one Spirit. Beautiful. The next one we have is that we've all been called to this one hope of calling. And, and so we get to share with us this, this future redemption, th this idea that, that what is, is coming will be shared with all of us. You see, our goal here on planet Earth is not to create this political utopia. We're, the kingdom of God is not where, where governments begin to declare that God is king and, and, and we're going to create a, a theocracy here on planet Earth because God's kingdom is not political in that, in that sphere. God's kingdom is people's hearts. 
And that's what he's after. That's what he's interested in. That doesn't mean as Christians that we disengage from politics and culture and society and so forth. The exact opposite. As Christians, we engage in those things. We engage in, in media, in, in, um, in movies and music and politics and business and sport. We engage in all these pillars of, of society. But the reason we do that is because that gives us access to meet those people. That gives us an opportunity to connect with people and share the gospel with them, share the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and invite them to share in the same future hope that we have. And that shared future that, that's, that we all have, it, it's, it's equal again with all of us. First off, the down payment, and this, this always blows my mind, the down payment of that is the Holy Spirit. That's just a portion of it. I mean, if the whole <clears throat> future hope was the Holy Spirit, I'd be okay. But that's just a portion of it. Instead, we get to look forward to a new heaven, a new earth. No more sorrow, no more pain, a new physical, spiritual body. And where we get to, to reign with God, we get to live with God, we get to live together, you, me, and Jesus. And that same ultimate redemption awaits all of us. Which is why, why we're not trying to store up treasures here on earth. See, it wouldn't matter if you're as rich as Jeff Be Bezos or twice as rich as him. None of it matters because you don't get to take any of it with you. And so instead, what we get to do is we get to use what God's blessed us here on planet Earth as a means to love other people, to support others, to, to care for other people. And so this, the things of this world don't matter compared to what God is building in, in the future redemption. So we get to look forward to that. The next one, he says, is, is that we have one Lord. And this one Lord speaks to, to Jesus Christ himself. And it's so critical here <clears throat> because what Paul's reminding us here is that Jesus Christ himself is Lord and God. He's the lamb that's worthy of our praise. And, and I say that because there are, there are some faiths that would say that Jesus is not quite God, that being the son of God, that, that he is of God and created of God and therefore below God, that we have one God the Father and then Jesus is somewhere down that list. But that's not the case. Hebrews 1.3 says that, that he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. And that exact representation is saying he's of the same essence. He's, they're, 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 they're one and the same. And so we have one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're unique, unique, and yet they're one. And that's who we get to worship. And, and people sometimes struggle over that and say they trip over that idea and they... And I understand it's hard for us to understand it's the Trinity. And some will say, well, the Trinity doesn't actually show up in Scripture. Well, that phrase doesn't, and yet God recognizes that Jesus is God as well. See, David in Psalm 110, he, he penned a messianic psalm. He, he penned a, a song that was about the coming Messiah, coming Jesus. And he says in verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. See, that's talking God, talking to Jesus right now. And the Lord says to my Lord, Father says to Jesus. So God recognizes the Lordship, the, the, God, the, the Godness of Jesus Christ. And so we have one Lord, Jesus Christ. And because we have one Lord, Jesus Christ, we also have one faith. And so this one faith, which refers to our salvation. 
this faith, this gift of salvation through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you see, that, that's really important as well, that there's, there's one faith. And in John 14 and verse 6, right before Jesus went to the cross, he says, I am the way, <clears throat> I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to God. And, and I think that's really important for us to understand that only faith in Christ leads us to God because, you know, this world would say that, that all faiths might lead to God. And whether that's universalism in their faith or universalism that all are saved, neither are true. And, and what's interesting is when I, when I hear people kind of, you know, push back against this idea that, that only Jesus is the way to salvation, they think, well, isn't that arrogant? How can you say that, that only God is, is the, the way to salvation? And the response is that they like to think of, well, imagine now you've got an elephant and you've got four or five blind people and they come up to this elephant, not knowing what it is, and they, they put their hands on it. And based on where they're, they're touching, they might come to different conclusions, right? If they're touching the leg or if they're touching the trunk or if they're touching the tail or maybe they're touching their ear, they would all think that it's something different. And the argument being is that, well, Christianity might be touching the trunk and Islam's touching one leg and and Judaism's touching the the, the tail and Hinduism's touching the the ears. And so we're all touching different parts. But, But really, you know, the person looking back on it can see well, but it's an elephant, and therefore all faith lead to God. And it's arrogant to say only one does. But the reality is, there's equal arrogance in saying that it's an elephant. You see, the person saying, well, it's an elephant, and all faith lead to God, is, is really having that arrogance based on that judgment there, that, that they're saying that they see it better than everyone else. Well, what we know to be true is the words of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that has died and been resurrected, overcome death. He's the, he's the only one that's been able to say and do all that. And therefore, I'm going to defer to him. He's my Lord. He's my God. And he tells us, he teaches us that only faith in Jesus Christ leads to that salvation. I wish it was universalism. I really do. I wish that everyone would escape hell and get to, get to experience heaven, that wouldn't have to go to the lake of fire, but would experience all of that. I really wish that, that universalism is true. But there's nothing in Scripture, there's nothing in my spirit that says it is. And so it's important to understand that, that, that there does need to be a salvation moment where we choose to place our faith in God, in Jesus, as best we know how. And that leads us to the next one, which is this one baptism. Now, growing up a Baptist, you know, I often saw baptism as being, you know, this water baptism, that whether you were, had to be dunked or, or immersed or, or, or just the water was, was kind of sprinkled on you, this one baptism isn't talking about that. It's not referring to water baptism. It's referring to being baptized in the Spirit. Now again, some denominations teach that baptizing the Spirit refers to when you begin to speak in tongues and you get that second filling of the Spirit. But that's not what it is. Paul teaches us for us what baptism in the Spirit really means in Romans chapter 6 in, in detail, but in other places as well. See, the word baptized or baptism is really means to be placed into, to be immersed into, to be dunked into, so to speak. 
And so what he's saying there is this idea of, of immersion that, that you and I, we were baptized or placed into God. We were included and united into Jesus. And that has had profound consequences. Because as Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 3, don't you know that because you've been united and included in Jesus, you've also been united and baptized in his death. Which means that when Jesus died on that cross, something fundamentally happened to you. So at the moment of salvation, God changes you. Oh, that's so beautiful. Salvation is bigger than just getting your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven one day. Salvation is more than just getting a, a clean slate. Salvation is more than just God looking at you differently now. Salvation is more than just going to heaven one day. Salvation is a transformation. You see, deep down, before you and I met Jesus, we all knew there was something not right. There was something wrong. A message of shame and that struggle. That, that shame that because of what I've done and the mistakes I've made and, and, and what was done to me and who I am. No matter what I did, I couldn't, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't make it right. I couldn't overcome it. I couldn't wipe away and wash away that stain. So what does Jesus do? He says, come, I'll take care of it. And I take the old you, that old spirit, who you were when you arrived here on planet Earth, and I'm gonna place it in me so that when I died on that cross, you died with him. And Jesus says, then I was buried, and we buried that old sucker. We buried that old sinner so that you could be born again, a brand new creation, a brand new person in Jesus. A new person, born again into his family. And because we're born into his family now, again, we're all equal. We're all now born again children of God. And so a change has taken place, a fundamental change of who you are in Jesus, a new creation. And that leads us now to the final one that Paul says. And so we have this, this one body and, and one spirit and one hope of this calling and one Lord and one faith and one baptizing, one baptism, one being placed into God in order to have one God and Father. We're all part of the one family. And, and that's so beautiful because, because we're all in that family. Again, we're all equal. I got five kids. I love all of them the same. They're all precious to me. They all belong to me. They're all my babies. And it doesn't matter how old they get, they're always going to be my babies. Sorry, kids. When you're 40, you're still going to be my baby because you're a part of my family. And that's what we have. We have one God and one Father. And I'm so glad he uses that because it just reinforces this idea that we're born of him, we're of him. You weren't just adopted, you weren't just included. You're actually born of the spirit, born of God, of his nature now, with his new nature, this new spirit, joined to him, and we belong to him. And you think about a family, you know, the reality is there might be disagreements, there might be fighting that goes on in that family, but you're always gonna be that one family. Nothing, nothing will change that. My brothers, you know, I got one in Barrie and one in Illinois and my sister's up in, in Huntsville, but we're all still one. We're all still one family. And so that's what we've got here. 
And so after pounding this idea of same, 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 one, 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 over and over again, now what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to show that all that one is applicable to all, applicable to every one of us. And so this all message begins to happen. And so it's really important to understand we all belong to him who have placed our faith in Jesus. It is critical to understand the context here is not all the world. The context he's talking about are all that is the church, all that are believers, all that are followers of Christ, all that have placed their faith in Jesus as best they know how. And so we all belong to him. So the first one is, it says that we are the, he is the God and Father of all. So we're all of the family here. And, and, and when I thought about well, what does that mean, what does that look like, the, the image that came to my mind was, was the, 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 the movie Toy Story. Remember the toy, the toy story there, the, the toys, we had, we had Buzz and we had Woody and Andy was the, the child. And there was a, you know, that moment where the, the toy was really accepted by Andy it was when Andy would write at the bottom of, of Woody or at the, the bottom of Buzz, he'd write his name, Andy. This toy belongs to me. And, and that's essentially what I think of this idea here is that we belong to God is that, that he's written his name on us and that we therefore belong to him. And then the next one he says is that he's the God and Father over all. His overall speaks to authority. That's really important because ever since the fall, ever since the Garden of Eden, mankind has bristled at the idea of someone else having authority over us. We all want to be our own man, our own woman, have our own control and have our own say in things. And so we've bristled at the idea of, of authority and control. We see it in, in great ways today in terms of, you know, wearing masks and being told what to do and not to do. And, and that's not to say that you can't have an opinion on those things, but we start to see this idea of, of, I don't want, don't tell me what to do. And we see that in little children towards their parents and, and kids, students towards teachers, teachers towards principals, principals towards the board, the board towards the government. And, and we just, we bristle at this idea of authority. And sometimes we even forget that we're under God's authority and not the other way around. See, sometimes we treat God as we're the master and he's the servant. And, and I say that because we often get upset and discouraged when God doesn't quite do what we want him to do. When he doesn't quite come through the way we wanted him to come through. And so we, we get frustrated by that. But we need to remember that God's master and we're his servant. But please understand, it's, it's not this master-slave that we had known you know, hundreds of years ago. No, because what he does is he comes alongside us. Although he's our master, he serves us by coming alongside of us, but to do what's according to his good pleasure. Not trying to get him to do according to our good pleasure. Please understand, that's a, that's a good thing. Because God desires more for you than you desire for yourself. And so that good pleasure that he's working out in our lives, remember, he's doing all this to love you, to, to honor you, to care for you, to provide for you. And that's what's gonna lead us to the next all because he's wanting to do all this through us. He's a God and Father through us. Maybe the, maybe the most misunderstood or neglected or critical truth of the New Testament that we, we forget about is this idea that it's not me for God, but it's God through me. Galatians 2.20, I think, summarizes it the best. 
right? I've been crucified with Christ. We talked about that earlier in the baptism, that the old me is dead and gone. I'm a new creation. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who lives, but Jesus Christ, God himself lives through me. And that's, that's so powerful because every one of us, we're faced with challenges. We're faced with difficulties that we need to face every day and they're bigger than us. Maybe, maybe you're like me and, and Joy. We got five kids. Maybe you got three kids, four kids. Maybe you got more kids. Maybe you're a single mom or a single dad. Maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you got health issues. Maybe you got problems within your family. Maybe you have loved ones with health issues. Maybe you're just overwhelmed by, by the pandemic, COVID-19. Maybe you're not overwhelmed by the pandemic. You're overwhelmed by the response to the pandemic. Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, Jesus is in you right now, available to live through you, available to face the challenges of each of those those moments because you're not alone. It's going to be God through us. And now we have the last one. And he says, and he's the God and Father in all of us. And it's very much connected to through and, but in is powerful, and I want you to understand and see it because, because in the Old Testament, they can never experience that. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon them. So you think about Samson, for example. It'd talk about how Samson would be there, and the Spirit would come upon Samson, and it would lead him into battle, and he would, he would destroy the enemy. Or the Spirit would come upon David or upon Moses, but was never in them. Because of their condition, it was before the cross of Christ, God could not live and reside in man. And so the night of his crucifixion, the night when he was about to make it all possible, he said to his disciples that right now the Spirit is upon you. He abides with you. But soon he's going to be in you. Speaking to what was going to happen at the cross. Because at the moment of, uh, of what happened on the cross, he made it possible. And that was what Pentecost was. When the Spirit came down and took up residence in those disciples, those apostles. And at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit has come and he's taken up residence inside of you. You're never alone. He's so unique, united himself that you're one. Isn't that beautiful? What's true of Jesus is true of you. What's true of the Spirit becomes true of you. That doesn't make you God. Please understand that's heresy. But that love and that worth and that acceptance, that life that we all needed, belongs to every one of us. Equality. And that truth, when trusted, transforms. Transforms how you see yourself and transforms how you, how you see other people. And so let's apply this wonderful truth, this, this truth so we can understand what does it mean to trust this one for all and all for one. Again, the world is trying to divide us, trying to divide us into all kinds of different identity groups based on gender, based on race, based on, on politics, based on your level of education, the, the kind of activi- activism you have, uh, urban, rural, uh, which, where you get your news from, uh, morality even, sexuality, how much money you have, all kinds of different groups that this world is trying to divide us into because based on where you are in the group is going to determine your value and your worth. And that's why we got racism and sexism and all these different isms. 
And, it, and for me, as I see this happening in the world, it, it's just so strong and thick, it's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to see the darkness taking place in this world. And so I have to constantly remind myself, light shows up best in darkness. And beloved, please understand, this is our moment. This is the moment where the church can shine and be the church because when the world's trying to divide and tear down and say, we are better than you, we have a greater voice than you, we have more power than you, as a church, we can say, that's not God's way. That's not God's way at all because what happens is we get to treat people, we get to treat one another, starting with those in the church, but even those outside the church with equality. It doesn't mean that you don't have differences. We can leave room for those differences because Jesus is greater than those differences. Our unity is more powerful than the diversity. That, that equality is greater than what, what separates us and what makes us different. And so we can understand this equality we have in Jesus and it gets to apply to race. It applies to your skin color. It applies to your nationality. It applies to whether you're born in this country or not born in this country. It applies to your gender. It applies to how much money you have in this bank and where you live and which car you drive. It applies to the job you have or the job you don't have. It even applies to the sin that you struggle with. Whether maybe you have sin, you struggle with the sin of homosexuality or idolatry or pride or gossip or greed. Or maybe you're on the other side and you struggle with the sin of moralistic legalism. And please understand, moralism is as equal, if not worse, than any other sin on the table. Because all of those sins, what makes them sin is they're not of God. They're not of Jesus. It applies to people of varying intelligence and various social statuses. The cool kids and the uncool kids get to all hang out together, all equal in Jesus. And I can't believe I'm even going to say it, but it's true. It even applies to the one who listens to country music on their iPhone while drinking Pepsi when they got their paints around their knees. Yes, even that person is equal in Jesus. Because God's grace is bigger than all of that. Well, what about the unbeliever then? Right? Because... When I'm talking about that oneness and that all, that equality, it applies to those in Jesus. The unbeliever is not yet in Jesus. What does that mean for them? Uh, beloved, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17, he shows us what that means, what that looks like. So read along here in the passage what it says there. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. That's talking about you and I. Right? Old things have passed away. What does that mean? It means that you died. The old you is dead and buried. Behold, the new has already come. You're already a new creation. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who's made us one, same, one, all of us in Christ. But look at this now. He gives to each and every one of us this ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Meaning that God didn't look at you and say, well, I can't really fully accept you because you got to get your act together and then I'll, then I'll accept you. Then I'll love you. 
No, while you were all messed up in a in disaster, in that moment, God demonstrated his love for you and I. He reconciled us. He didn't wait for you to get your act together. And now he's committed to you and I this word or this ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors of Christ. Meaning we get to go to everyone who does not yet know Jesus and we get to make an appeal through us. It's God making that appeal through us. Because remember, he's in and through us. And we beg you, please come to Jesus. Be reconciled to God. And if you haven't done that yet, please understand that God is waiting. He's got his hand outstretched and he's, he's, he's waiting for you all to just grab hold of his hand. Because God wants to be life to you. He wants to, to give you that freedom, the forgiveness that you crave for. He, he wants you to know the love and the acceptance and the worth that you desire, that peace and that patience and that hope and joy that this world has promised but has never truly delivered. That's in Jesus. And he's offering it to you right now. And, and we all get to go out into the world and offer it to the world. And all we need to do, wherever you are, as best you can, say amen. Say thank you. I take hold of it. And watch what God does. Let's pray. Father, thank you what you did, how you've made us one, how you've given us the, this, this body of this church, You've given us the same Holy Spirit and we have access to him all the time right now, full access to all of his power. And that we have this great hope coming that is not of this world. It's, it's something bigger than this world because we have one Lord Jesus Christ who's worthy of all praise, the lion and the lamb. And we have one faith trusting in him and this one baptism that you've made us one in you that made us new, new creations, born of you who is our one God and Father. And that we're all from you. You're, we're all under you as you're over us. And now all of us, you're living through because you're in all of us. And Father, if there's someone watching this right now that hasn't, hasn't yet turned to you, hasn't yet accepted this gift, Father, I pray that they would do that right now just by simply in their heart saying, God, I want this gift. I want you. So I accept this gift from you. And now teach me and show me what it means. In your name we pray, amen. If, if maybe you're one of those people that hadn't yet accepted that, that gift, would you, would you let us know that you did that? Maybe you can do that by, by you know, saying something in the chat there. Maybe, maybe you send us an email, prayer at newlifekw.ca. We would love to know that and to celebrate uh, if that's the case because the Bible says this, that every time, every time someone turns to Jesus, there's a party going on in your honor in heaven. I got chills thinking about that, that right now there is a party celebrating that you turn to Jesus for the first time. We would love to celebrate and party with you. So let us know, prayer at newlifekw.ca. Or if there's something else that you're struggling with and you're hoping for encouragement or maybe there's something that financially, across, or not across, financially New Life can help you with, we would love to do that and you can send us a message. Again, you can do that email or you can go to the website and let us know that way.
Whatever it is, New Life, let us know how we can love you and encourage you. But go, go be who you are. Remember what you have, who you are in Jesus, and who Jesus is in you. God bless you guys. Have a great day.